Thessalonians. Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ our King. We are so excited for this opportunity to share the Word of God with you through your favorite program, The Moment of Truth. We are at a critical moment in God's plan for humanity, and God is said to do awesome things in and through individuals, families, communities, organizations, nations, continents, and across generations. As we proclaim the Word of God in the following series, you are going to receive illumination and direction, especially those in the Valley of Decision, and hopefully you'll be accurately positioned for the current move of God. So, sit back and relax. Go ahead, call your family and friends, and get ready for a life-changing encounter with the Word of God. As you do, your life will never be the same again. The theme of our State of the Nation brokers for this day is Resetting Nigeria on the path of predictable progress. Resetting Nigeria on the path of predictable progress. Fellow citizens, on November 16, 1960, Nigeria's first indigenous general, general, governor general, Dr. Namdi Azikiwe, uttered the following words. He said, and I quote, let us heal the breaches of the past so that in forging a nation there shall emerge on this continent a hate-free, fear-free, and greed-free people who shall be in the vanguard of a world task force whose assignment is not only to revive the stature of man in Africa, but to restore the dignity of man in the world. Needless to say, the lofty dreams of our founding fathers that should have propelled us to attain great lofty heights are still dreams 59 years on. Yet, with every independence anniversary comes a renewed opportunity to evaluate our nationhood and insist that a dream deferred is not a dream denied. Despite our past and current realities, the fact that we have remained one nation is a testimony to our God-given resilience, and if properly channeled, it's also a pointer to a future, brimming with great possibilities. I believe this gift of resilient hope is worth thanking God for. Therefore, fellow Nigerians, no matter how despondent you may feel today, about the state of our nation, permit me to begin this address by wishing you a happy belated independence anniversary. On this occasion, I salute the memory of our founding fathers who began this long and arduous journey into nationhood. I salute our heroes past who over the decades kept the church aflame and whose labors, I am certain, shall never be in vain. As we embark on an evaluation of the state of our nation through the instrumentality of a national security audit, I salute the members of the Nigerian Armed Forces and the security agencies who have constantly put their lives on the line in the interest of our national security, even in the most precarious of circumstances. I particularly honor the memories of Inspector Mark Edeli, Sergeant Usman Danzumi, and Sergeant Dahiru Musa, the dutiful police officers who lost their lives to the bullets of army officials, officers this past August. My sincere condolences to their families. May their ultimate sacrifice not be in vain. Can I hear amen? amen. Let me also congratulate the President, President Muhammad Buhari, Vice President Yemiya Shibajo, the recently constituted ministerial team, as well as members and principal officers of the National Assembly as the second term of this administration unfolds. We trust God for all the wisdom and skills required for them 
to steer the ship of the nation aright at this critical juncture. Can I hear amen? Amen. Permit me to also seize this opportunity to bless God and to congratulate the nation for the phenomenal growth in revenue reported by the Nigerian Customs Services since the closure of our borders. We recall that on January 1, 2019, we declared the word of God to us on this platform that Nigeria will experience significant revenue growth through the Nigerian Customs Service in the year 2019. This past week, the Controller General of the Nigerian Customs Service immediately said, there was a day in September that we collected 9.2 billion in one day. It has never happened before. This is after the closure of the border, and since then we have maintained an average of about 4.7 billion to 5.8 billion on a daily basis, which is far more than we used to collect. Let's bless the name of the Lord for fulfilled prophecy. He sent his word and he fulfilled the word. We see this as a sign that every word of God concerning the greatness of our nation, Nigeria, will be fulfilled. And as the clock has started ticking towards another four years of democracy. As politicians begin to make deft moves ahead of 2023, this address is a call to forsake the myopia of personal and sectional interests to revisit our foundations and to begin to reset our nation on the path of predictable progress, beginning with the sector that is most crucial to our national survival and stability, the security sector. Of xenophobia and the call to nationhood. The stability of our nation is inextricably woven with the stability of the African continent. Therefore, I will set the tone of this address with a brief comment on the xenophobic intolerance that has recently defined the relationship between Nigeria and South Africa. Permit me at this juncture to ask for a standing ovation for a true Nigerian, the Chairman CEO of Airpeace, Chief Allen Onyema, as well as the staff. Oh, I can hear your clap offerings. Thank you. You may be seated. As well as the staff of that exemplary Nigerian company whose voluntary decision to evacuate stranded Nigerians from South Africa free of charge has redeemed the honor of our nation. We are some Nigerians have misrepresented us by their deeds. This modern Nigerian has shown that to be a Nigerian is to be a person of dignity. Somebody praise the Lord. The outbreak of xenophobia in South Africa is a wake-up call to Nigeria. It challenges us to put an end to homegrown xenophobia and to unite as one people so we can overcome common challenges and provide leadership to Africa. In this connection, President Muhammadu Buhari's recent visit to South Africa is commendable. As the process of mending relations commences, a measured but decisive response to the provocative incidents is a wise approach. The signing of 32 bilateral agreements in various sectors and the uptake in the enthusiasm of the private sector is a masterstroke win-win outcome. Let's put our hands together for Mr. President. As we reflect today on the state of our nation and its place in the world, I'm reminded of the words of Nelson Mandela. He said, and I quote, The world will not respect Africa until Nigeria earns that respect. The black people of the world need Nigeria to be great as a source of pride and confidence. Building that stable, secure, and prosperous Nigeria that will earn Africa the respect of the world is the purpose of this address. Now let me give you the context and the content of a national security audit. On July 12, 2019, our nation reeled 
from the news of the gruesome murder of Mrs. Funke Olakuni, daughter of elder statesman Pariben Fashiranti. This painful loss was one too many in view of the palpable anger and the threat of clinically, ethnically motivated responses generated by the incident, it became clear to me that drastic steps needed to be taken in respect of our national security. My conviction was further betrayed when the nation woke up to the tragic incident earlier referenced of soldiers murdering some of our finest intelligent officers and setting free an alleged kidnapped kingpin who had been arrested by this early squad of dedicated policemen. This alarming interagency disaster, coupled with disturbing developments, such as reports of mass graves of soldiers, and the seemingly relentless reports of killings, kidnappings, and banditry, has made it abundantly apparent that our nation is dancing on the razor's edge. Reacting to the situation, Nigerian journalist Simon Kolawole, in an editorial titled More Questions Than Answers, noted the current crime situation in Nigeria is a massive indictment on the capacity, capability, and credibility of the security agencies. A shake-up is non-negotiable. Buhari must be willing to do the needful and not to make just cosmetic changes to stop the hemorrhage. Against this backdrop, as part of an extensive security audit, will assert Nigeria's vulnerabilities and threat profile, rethink the prevailing philosophy of national security in Nigeria, examine the challenges to national security, and then, as a propositional platform, profess solutions deploying a combination of vertical and horizontal intelligence. Let's begin by assessing vulnerabilities, Nigeria's security threat profile. Nigeria is today confronted with several intersecting categories of national security threats based on the motivations and power blocks propelling such threats. These threats to national security manifest in about seven different dimensions. Political, economic, ideological, ethnic, zonal, state, and strategic dimensions. Let me start with politically motivated threats. Number one, the politically motivated threats to our national security are encapsulated in the simple question, who killed? You have seen it over and over again in the different headlines of our newspapers. Who killed Delegiwa? We are here to find the answer. Who killed M.K. Abiola? Who killed Funsha Williams? Who killed Balaige? Who killed Dikwadina? Who killed Mashal Ari? Who killed Obiwali? Who really killed Murtala Muhammad? Nagging questions that we have not found answers to. The security and stability of our nation are hinged on eliminating the greed and the fan, that fan the flames of these political assassinations. Not only do the purveyors of politically motivated violence pose a threat to the democratic process after elections like in Bruno State, their talks become a menacing scourge of armed bandits who take to robbery, kidnapping, cultism, and other criminal vices for self-maintenance until the next elections. We cannot build a stable and secure nation until our politics is rescued from the grip of murderers and placed in the custody of patriots. Economically motivated threats. In January 2012, when Save Nigeria Group mobilized a critical mass of Nigerians to Freedom Park or Jota, we were not simply asking for a reversal of the fuel price hike that threatened the daily bread of the so-called average Nigerian. We were fighting organized crime syndicates who had hijacked our collective patrimony in the name of fuel subsidies. Our galvanizing slogan then was, kill corruption, not Nigerians. 
the economic threats to our national security are individual and corporate syndicates who loot our common patrimony, bastardize our national image, and submit our nation's credit rating in the cesspool of local and international criminal enterprise. To address these threats, we need to revive our economy as a matter of urgency that no Nigerian will have an excuse to resort to crime. Ideologically motivated threats, number three. Boko Haram, which derives its foil from an extremist interpretation of Islam, falls in this category. The perpetrators of such national security threats tend to deploy terrorism and insurgency as a strategy. Since 2009, over 30,000 people have died in the course of the war on terror. Winning this war is a national priority that has become synonymous with our quest for peace and stability. Number four, ethnic nationalistic threats. Due to the failure to unite as one nation, the fabric of our nationhood is being frayed by different ethnic groups threatening to go their separate ways. Groups such as Movement for the Emancipation of the Niger Delta, men, the Bakasi Boys, Egbesu Boys, a faction of Odua People's Congress, OPC, Movement for the Actualization of the Sovereign State of Biafra, Maso, and most recently, the Independent People of Biafra, IPOP, fall under this category. Number five, zonal security threats. Several of our national security threats are zonally delineated. For instance, the epicenter of Boko Haram is in the northeast, while cattle rustling related boundary, banditry is based in the northwest. The farmer herder conflict has its base in the north central. Kidnapping first became an industry in the south south and the southeast, and so on. Our border challenges are also different across the zones. In the northeast, for instance, the Mandara Mountains allow Boko Haram to traverse Nigeria and Cameroon. In the northwest, the flatland borders with Niger Republic make it easy for bandits to crisscross Nigeria and Niger. In the southwest, smugglers from the Republic of Benin pose a unique set of border challenges while the southern coastlines grapple with piracy in the Gulf of Guinea. We celebrate the fact that Nigerian Customs and Immigration Services have taken steps to improve border security by closing the borders. However, we must go further to permanently resolve the loopholes in border management because no nation can leave its borders closed indefinitely in a globalized world. Number six, state-engineered security threats. My assertion that the Nigerian state has been a threat to its own national security might sound strange. However, when the state actors, such as the armed forces, the police force, and others become perpetrators of acts of terror, the state scores an own goal and becomes a threat to its own security. According to Nigeria's security tracker, 8,571 civilians were killed extrajudicially by soldiers and security agents between May 2011 and September 2019. Strategic threats, number seven. The strategic threat to Nigeria's national security involve foreign interests and actors. In 2014, during the administration of President Goodluck Jonathan, one-time Foreign Affairs Minister, Professor Bolaji Akiyemi, raised the alarm over the strategic nature of insecurity in Nigeria. In his view, there are very strong forces, external to Nigeria, who are actually masterminding these operations. There has been penetration of our security agencies. So we are dealing with forces that are larger than Nigeria. The forces involved, the Nigerian Debeku are by far stronger than the Nigerian government. Even if you change your president, his successor will have a major battle in his hand if he decided to confront these elements. Five years later, Professor Akiyami may have been proved right. Some of the internal threats I've mentioned 
have external collaborators. We know, for instance, from intelligence, intelligence report, that Boko Haram is affiliated with terror groups in Somalia. Furthermore, in order to deal with the international nature of a security threat, we cannot ignore the interests of certain strategic countries, particularly regional hegemons, seeking to consolidate their interests in Nigeria as a result of a strategic importance to the world. Now let's assess the capabilities, the challenges to security management. Our inability to successfully combat these threats and secure our nation has been due to the following seven major things. Number one, a faltering national security philosophy. Our national security philosophy reflects the words of King Louis XVI, Francis Absolute Monarch, who once equated the state to himself, stating, Le tête c'est moi, meaning I am the state. Our national security philosophy was crafted in the military era when the main preoccupation was protecting the head of state and the military junta. This persisting faulty security philosophy is the reason governors can legally access large amounts of monies in the name of security votes that they do not have to account for. It is why the police force, which ought to protect every Nigerian, has been comparatively neglected over the years in terms of funding, equipment, remuneration, and training. It is why security, which ought to be a public good, has now become a private commodity. Nigerians who can afford it make personal arrangements for their security, while poor Nigerians are left to form vigilantes or embark on prayer vigils for angelic protection. Number two, multi-level unpreparedness for national security. Due to constitutional constraints, our security strategies are incapacitated at the local, state, and federal levels. The efforts of the Civilian Just Task Force, for instance, CJTF, have shown that Boko Haram could have been curtailed if we had community and state police forces with mastery of the terrain and ability to nip threats in the board. Also, despite the sonally differentiated nature of our security and border challenges, we have excluded the idea of zonal forces from our border management strategies, even as an overstretched federal government continues to grapple with border security. And then number three, organizational inefficiency. Despite the significant burden of national security on the shoulders of the federal government, we have failed to properly organize federal governance to meet this need. Instead, we have a cacophony of ministries, departments, agencies, and advisory bodies that have failed to place national security as a cornerstone of social, economic, political, strategic, and infrastructural policies, despite the fact that Section 2, Subsection 14 of the 1999 Constitution, as amended states, that the security and welfare of the people shall be the primary purpose of government. Number four. Security culture dissonance. A segmentation of our national security culture will reveal at least four categories of players. A, antagonists. B, survivors. C, neutrals. And D, protagonists. Everyone listening to me falls under at least one. The antagonists include the sponsors and perpetrators of insecurity, such as double-dealing police officers, hired assassins, and cyber criminals. The survivors include internally displaced persons and victims of kidnap. The neutrals are bystanders who will be swayed to any side and are readily available as contractors who carry out arms deals for criminals, couriers and vendors who run errands for terrorists, <laughs> and communities that conceal the adults of criminals and become complicit by their silence, while the protagonists include combatants such as soldiers and the police force, as well as non-combatants such as policymakers 
and citizens who are prepared to aid the government's efforts. Our security challenge has worsened because the protagonist category is shrinking and many citizens are becoming bystanders due in particular to a low level of trust in our security agencies. Number five, security infrastructure deficit. Time will fail me to talk about Nigeria's core card in military strength, including our stock and deficiencies in land and air-based military equipment. But we as soldiers are reportedly forced to buy their own uniforms, and our barracks are nothing but environmental health hazards. Reports of low morale are hardly breaking news. Besides, it appears that our combined military and intelligence capabilities are no match for the security challenges we currently grapple with. A recent report by the New York Times states that Boko Haram fighters now have more sophisticated drones than the military and are well armed after successful raids on military brigades. Drones in the custody of terrorists is a grave existential threat. Moreover, the absence of robust human and weapons databases has hampered the necessary intelligence that can aid the prevention and detection of crime. Number six, security architecture dysfunction. National security architecture has to do with security institutions, leadership, training, and strategies. Central to our deficiency in this regard is a comparatively weak intelligence system. Our foreign intelligence service has proved inadequate in meeting our strategic security threats. The National Intelligence Agency, NIA, should be a version of the United States Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, Britain's MI6, or Israel's Mossad. But the NIA came into the limelight in the first time of this administration, not for preventing a national security threat, but for starching for the $3 million in an apartment in Ikoi, Lagos, allegedly earmarked for their overt and covert operations. Also notable is the Sambo Dasuki saga, in which the Office of the National Security Advisor was linked with a phantom arms deal worth $2 billion. Moreover, the Office of the National Security Advisor may have become overstretched, juggling the coordination of main intelligence agencies with advising the president and overseeing the protection of government officials may have limited the investigative freedom and focus of the intelligence community. On training and deployment of our military, how much longer will we dispatch poorly trained and poorly equipped recruits to their deaths? Are we truly using Shilka guns purchased during the 1979-83 Shagari administration in 2019? Are the children of the poor truly being deployed to battlefronts while the children of the rich are being deployed, are being shielded? Is it the same National Defense Academy that positioned a poor orphan from Daura, cadet Muhammadu Buhari, and set him on the path to the presidency? These are questions the army must answer to restore public confidence in this noble institution. Number seven, security intracultural dissonance. By security infrastructure, I mean the dynamics of interagency relations. The killing of policemen by soldiers was not just an isolated case of bad eggs in the army colluding with criminals. It was another case of agencies working at cross purposes. Time and again, we have witnessed one interagency clash after another. In 2017, the media was awash with a shameful clash between the EFCC and the DSS. The interagency clashes may have even been extended to the training of our officers. Should the establishment of separate universities for the Army, Air Force, and Navy be a priority at this time when we have a Nigerian Defense Academy? In any case, 
the biggest indictment on our security intra- intraculture failure is not on the rank and file of our military and law enforcement agencies, but the leadership. Allegations of the deliberate spreading of alternative facts, as well as internal wranglings by service chiefs in the race to replace the chief of the same staff or national security advisor, do not inspire confidence in the 10th year of Boko Haram's onslaught. Now towards an integrated security roadmap, resetting Nigeria on the path of predictable progress. I believe that these challenges of nationhood, manifesting as threats to national security, provide an opportunity to go back to the drawing board and rebuild our nation. It's a call to an integrated national security roadmap as part of a long-term master plan to rebuild Nigeria. An integrated national security roadmap brings together diverse objectives of nation building, including the social, political, economic, and strategic objectives, and pivots them on the national security thrust. We must bear this in mind as we we prefer solutions to the challenges militating against our stability and progress. What do we do? Number one, we need to do a rethinking of the national security philosophy. Say that with me, rethinking the national security philosophy. The first step towards securing our nation is revisiting the philosophical foundations of governance. This calls for prioritizing the security of the governed above that of the government. We must get to that point where the office of the citizen is the most important office in our nation. This calls for prioritizing the security of the governed above that of the government. It requires making a transition from the governance philosophy of Louis XVI to that of David, king of Israel, as captured in 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verse number 2. It reads, and I quote, And David perceived that the Lord has confirmed him king over Israel, for his kingdom was lifted up on high because of his people, Israel. King David, by embracing the purpose for which he was made king, rather than just enjoying the perks and privileges of office, served his generation according to the will of God, shepherded Israel according to the integrity of his heart, and guided them by the skillfulness of his hand until he became the lamb of his nation, placing national security above his. Guided by this people-centered national security and governance philosophy, we can then begin to design policies, investments, and institutions that guarantee the stability, security, progress of our nation. Number two, and I say this with all emphasis, reinstating national security federalism. Say that with me, reinstating national security federalism. The need to return to true federalism through devolution of powers cannot be overemphasized. Subnational governments must be empowered to provide security alongside federal structures. The true test of leadership in a federal system is the willingness of the central government to empower the federating units. It must be the case of first among equals. The federal government must therefore stop being afraid of empowered states and local governments. We must embrace multi-level policing in the spirit of true federalism, setting in place appropriate constitutional checks and balances to prevent abuse. Not to act swiftly or to do otherwise can only be counterproductive to our stability and progress. Number three. Reforming National Security Governance. The National Security Council 
is central to dealing with the diverse threats to our national security. In this regard, the president as chairman of the National Security Council must take responsibility for combating the political threats by modeling statesmanship and exemplary politics as a father of the nation, reminiscent of the roles played by George Washington and Abraham Lincoln of the United States of America. By such exemplary leadership, the president must bring the political elite to the round table of brotherhood and compel them by astute politics and the force of leadership to put an end to the politics of banditry and to work for rather than against the interests of the nation. Next to the president is the vice president. In an atmosphere of implicit trust, any government that fails to maximize the office of the vice president does so at its peril. By provision of section 18A and section 25B of the third schedule, part one of the 1999 constitution as amended, the vice president is the chairman of the National Economic Council and the deputy chairman of the National Security Council. Therefore, the vice president must be empowered to lead the social economic thrust of an integrated national security strategy that rewards enterprise, discourages crime, and ensures that every Nigerian has an honest opportunity to make a living. To do this, we must harness resources in every geopolitical zone for the benefit of every Nigerian. Therefore, this socio-economic thrust must be built on a long-term national master plan comprising six intersecting zonal master plans aimed at restructuring the Nigerian economy into six globally competitive geo-economic zones. The operational and financing mechanisms of this framework are spelled out in the bracket pragmatic steps towards restructuring Nigeria, which I presented to the nation since 2017. The ideological and ethnic nationalistic threats to our national security call for national rebirth, reconciliation, and reintegration. In this regard, once again, we cannot ignore the zonal dimensions of these threats. From Abubakar Shekau to Namdi Kanu, what we are experiencing is nothing short of regionalization of rebellion. Nigerian sonar distinctions are geopolitical leadership spaces waiting to be filled. Failing to fill them with state structures leaves room for the occupation of those zonal leadership spaces by non-state actors like regional terrorists, regional criminals, and regional secessionists. Therefore, the president, by reason of the powers articulated in section 25I of the third schedule, part one of the 1999 constitution as amended, should as a matter of urgency create a presidential commission for national rebirth, reconciliation, and reintegration, and appoint a chairman over this commission. This chairman should be able to build bridges among the diverse interest groups in the country thereby putting an end to agitations and forging true nationhood. As a member of the National Security Council, this person is expected to integrate the reconciliation, reintegration thrust into the broader national security strategy. To combat the strategic threats to our national security, we must also rejig our foreign policy and reorganize the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Many people in this audience today would not know that in those golden era of the regions, the federal government has ambassador to Britain called the High Commissioner to Britain, and each region had their own general consul representing their foreign interest side by side with that of the federal government. What are we then proposing? We must design a two-pronged foreign policy thrust aimed at managing relations with two broad categories of strategic threats and opportunities broadly defined as a southern foreign policy, if you like, the transatlantic thrust, 
and the northern foreign policy, if you like, the trans-Saharan thrust. The trans-Atlantic thrust that is southern foreign policy, which will embark on astute diplomacy with such countries and regions that have greater cultural influence in southern Nigeria, including the United States of America, Great Britain on both sides, Russia, Israel, South America, the European Union, with special attention to France and Germany, as well as Sub-Saharan Africa, in particular South Africa and so on. This thrust will aim to mobilize economic, technical, and international political alliances towards Nigeria's national security, using our strategic importance to international and global security as a bargaining tool. The Northern Foreign Policy Thrust, which we also call the Trans-Saharan Thrust, will lead diplomatic relations with Sahelian Africa, the Maghreb, the Horn of Africa, North Africa, the Arabian Peninsula, the Middle East, and the Persian Gulf. This aspect of our foreign policy will aim to leverage cultural diplomacy and political economic cooperation to combat insurgency and ensure the recalibration of northern Nigeria. Recalibration of the sort that transformed Dubai from a desert to a world-class city. To achieve this aim, the president must prepare to make bold decisions by putting round pegs in round holes. In all of this, the National Assembly must live up to its oversight responsibility. The legislature must support our armed forces by making laws that will spur a radical progressive transformation of our security governance. Number four, recreating security culture. Say with me, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Say it again, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Our security culture objective must be to restore hope to the survivors, motivate bystanders and spectators to become protagonists and recruit contractors and dealers as agents and informants by rewarding and guaranteeing protection for those who blow the whistle on terrorists, kidnappers, criminal herdsmen, cattle rustlers, and bandits we will shrink the population of the antagonists. Furthermore, we must competitively reward valor in our security agencies. Team and individual award schemes should be instituted for police officers and members of the armed forces who bravely bring down criminal gangs and terrorists while ensuring that human rights are respected. In addition, celebrating valor and heroism must become a central feature of our cultural experiences. Nollywood and the creative industries must be supported to produce inspiring epics and biopics in honor of our heroes. Redesigning security architecture. We can begin to redesign our security architecture by taking a number of four steps. The funds being funneled into extra universities should be channeled towards building the capacity of the Nigerian Defense Academy and prosecuting the war on Boko Haram. We must then refocus the training of our soldiers to cater to unconventional warfare. You can fight terrorists with conventional warfare strategy. They need to be trained. However, to create lasting change, we must institutionalize security interventions rather than respond with a fire brigade approach to emerging challenges. We already have too many tax forces littered across the length and breadth of the nation duplicating efforts. What we need is the restructuring of our police force to allow for multi-level 
pollution. Somebody say multi-level pollution. I cannot hear you well. Therefore, we must, as a matter of urgency, create police forces at the state and community levels under the control of the respective state and local governments. In addition, given the zonal delineation of security threats, state governments within each zone must come together to constitute zonal security councils, to push for constitutional amendments, to recognize and empower such councils, and to have them represented at the National Security Council. Each zonal security council must be chaired by a governor from the member states on a rotating basis. And at every point in time, the chairman of each zonal security council shall represent the zone at the National Security Council. Under the command of the respective zonal security councils, each state within a zone shall contribute officers from a state police force towards the zonal police force of that zone. The zonal police forces shall assume responsibility for policing interstate highways within each zone and for protecting the vulnerable areas of the zone. For instance, the dense forests of the southeast could be policed by the southeast zonal police force, while some Biza forests and Mandara hills could be policed by the northeast zonal police force, and so on. The zonal police force shall also assist federal agencies such as the Nigerian Customs Service and the Nigerian Immigration Service, NCS and NIS, to provide border protection services in the parts of our national borders that fall within the respective zonal jurisdictions. In this regard, for instance, the Northwest Zonal Security Council could provide support to the Customs and Immigration Services in securing all the porous borders around Jigawa, Katsina, Samfara, Sokoto, and Kebi states where bandits, kidnappers, criminal herdsmen, cattle rustlers have been holding sway including smugglers who have their men in high places. What then, someone may ask, happened to the Nigerian police force? Are we going to disband them like in Georgia? No. Currently, the only police force in the country, the Nigerian police force, can be reformed into a National Bureau of Investigation, NBI. Focus... Thank you. Focus on investigative policing, intelligence gathering, as well as interstate and interzonal national security as the main law enforcement agency of the federal government. By so doing, we would have restored policing duties to very effective police forces within our borders. This will position us to strengthen and deploy our defense forces, including the Army, the Air Force, and the Navy, beyond our borders. By law, the assignment of the armed forces is to protect us against external aggression. Their job is, has nothing to do with internal rebellion. This will position us to strengthen and deploy our defense forces, including the Army, the Air Force, and the Navy beyond our borders to win the war on Boko Haram and to neutralize aggressors beyond our borders as the military once did in its heyday in one town Liberia and Sierra Leone. We have descended to the pit. We now use the military for election. Furthermore, to boost intelligence gathering, we propose the creation of a Directorate of National Intelligence, DNI, headed by a Director of National Intelligence, who shall report directly to the President and shall also sit on the National Security Council. The role of the Director of National Intelligence shall be to provide 
unbiased, non-partisan intelligence, while the National Security Advisor, who is a political appointee, shall support the President in decision-making based on intelligence provided by the Directorate of National Intelligence. Retooling security infrastructure. A well-designed security architecture requires a sophisticated enough security infrastructure outlay. First, we must ensure that we kit and equip our soldiers and security agencies adequately. We must also ensure that the living conditions of our soldiers and police officers meet standards of decency. Therefore, we must embark on massive infrastructure innovation in all barracks across the nation. This will boost the morale of our officers and spur them to fight on for their beloved country. Furthermore, from machines to missiles, from precision-guided weapons to manned aerial vehicles, from surveillance technologies to reconnaissance satellites and data management systems, we must upgrade our security infrastructure. In this regard, Nigeria would do well to leverage our proposed foreign policy framework with a view to attracting international collaborations in acquiring, deploying, and even innovating military, security, and intelligence technologies. Number seven, remodeling security intra-culture. In dealing with interagency discordance, much depends on the heads of each agency and the decisiveness of Mr. President who is the Chief Security Officer of the nation and the Chairman of the National Security Council that brings all agencies together. To this end, I appeal to Mr. President to take a serious look at the composition of the service chiefs and set stringent standards and objectives below which no service chief must fall, otherwise the risk replacement. It's a call for leadership by measurable objectives. To the service chiefs, perhaps, the words of a fellow general, James N. Mattis, popularly known as Jim Mad Dog Mattis, former U.S. Secretary of Defense, will serve as sufficient indictment. He said, and I quote, In this age, I don't care how tactically or operationally brilliant you are, if you cannot create harmony, even vicious harmony on the battlefield, based on trust across service lines, across coalition, across national lines, and across civilian military lines, you need to go home because your leadership is obsolete. Conclusion. As I conclude, let me challenge the church to awaken to its responsibility as a watchman over the nation. National security strategies are incomplete without the spiritual role of the watchman. I think the military was pushed to the war recently that they began to conduct their own spiritual warfare sessions. Thank God for Christians amongst them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church will not abandon our responsibility and our military also will stay focused as we back them up so that incapacity will not be replaced with prayers. In the words of Reverend Father George Ehuzani, Nigerian Christians cannot sit idly and complain endlessly about the deplorable state of affairs in our country. We must get into action in whatever way is open to us and ignite our Christian candle to fight back the forces of darkness and decay. Whether as responsible parents or respectful children, devoted teachers or diligent students, God-fearing doctors or dedicated nurses, dutiful administrators or faithful laborers, if a sufficient number of Christians lit their candles in this way, supported by their Muslim brothers also who also cry to God day and night, then we can be sure that the dying Nigeria shall rise again to greatness by the power of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead.
saints of the most high God, we can respond to this compelling call back by the, by the knowing that God set time to favor Nigeria is here. Overnight on Wednesday, September 18, 2019, God showed me a vision for Nigeria. I saw a rainbow across Nigeria with the word reset, reaching boldly across the land. I knew at once that the time to reset Nigeria on the path of predictable progress is here. In computer terminology, to reset means to turn a piece of computer equipment off and then on again when it does not work correctly to make it start working correctly again. The rainbow was a symbol of a covenant with Noah, with God placed in the sky after he had shut down the earth by sending the flood that destroyed it from its foundation. The rainbow does not belong to the gay people. It belongs to God. God said in Genesis 9, 13, I have set my rainbow on the sky that I will perpetually remember the people I have created and I will keep my side of the covenant. It is time to return to the foundations of our nation. Foundations which are laid by our founding fathers but which are now devastated. It is time to rebuild. It is time to reset. As it was in the days of Nehemiah, when each group built the aspect of the world within its jurisdiction, the rebuilding has to be done zone by zone in line with our foundational governance paradigm of true federalism. Hence, the resetting will require revisiting the federal governance architecture. I am reminded of the pre-29 election admonitions of elder statesman and former Commonwealth Secretary General Chief Emeka Ayelko. It's so surprising to me that I began with a quotable quote from Nandi Azikiwe and Igbo man, and I'm ending with a quotable quote by Chief Emeka Ayelko, another Igbo man who married from my hometown, Abel Kota. <laughs> the former Secretary General of Commonwealth said, and I quote, judged by all relevant indices, Nigeria today is clearly underperforming and lacking national cohesion as never before. If our country is to succeed on the road to political stability and realization of its rich development potential, it must, by restructuring its present governance architecture, it must return to the true federalism that it practiced in the years before the military intervened in our national politics. Fellow Nigerians, Upon the foundation of a restructured Nigeria, we can forge a new nation, one of diverse peoples, bound together in unity, like the colors of a rainbow beaming light to the world. All the ethnic suspicion must stop. The office of the president can be contested for by any citizen anywhere who belongs to a political party of choice at any time, anywhere. No ethnic nationality has monopoly of any of the offices. We can forge a new nation, one of diverse peoples, bound together in unity like the colors of a rainbow, beaming light to the world, working in collaboration, not in conflict with the rest of Africa, including South Africa, a fellow rainbow nation. I remain confident as ever that Nigeria will be saved, Nigeria will be changed, and Nigeria will be great in my lifetime. And the people said, thank you for listening. God bless you. God bless Nigeria and God bless Africa. Thanks so much for listening. We have to end it here today. But it's been a real joy to come into your homes to unveil the truth of God's word. I pray that the word of God you have received will sink deeply into your hearts and bring forth tangible fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. In addition, 
I pray that the truth you've embraced will not only set you free, but it will empower you to impact your environment positively as God's representative in your sphere of influence. Till we meet again on this platform, remain sandwiched between the peace of God and the God of peace. God bless you richly. Bye, Bye for, for now. now.